Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Hi, thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Well.com podcast. I'm Bo Wigington. Today I'm sitting down with Kevin Stone, a metal sculpture artist, and he has quite the tale. This is going to be a two-part series we have with him. This first episode is mainly just hearing this wild tale of how he got into doing sculptures for people all around the world. You might have seen pictures of his stuff floating around on Instagram. He's making a giant dragon that is a replica of a Game of Thrones dragon. He also has an eagle at Dollywood and his art is just, you have to go check it out. So sit back, relax, and listen to this wild journey that we are about to go on with Kevin Stone. Jumping into it, can you just kind of give yourself an introduction to the listeners that might not know about your work? Sure. Well, my name's Kevin Stone, and uh, I'm a metal artist out of British Columbia. I live in Chilliwack, British Columbia, Canada. I've been a metal tradesman for over 30 years now, and uh, I've been doing my artwork, uh, well, just recently for two years. So I was a a full-time metal artist for 10 years. Then I opened a hot rod shop for uh, 10 years, and uh, and now I've gone and, and sold the hot rod shop and gone back into my art full-time for, uh, well, about a year and a half now, I guess. So I've talked to a couple different sculptors, and the idea of getting into sculpting and building a brand like that, that's, that's a big undertaking. It's been really difficult um, in more ways than one, actually, because... How it started is I was given an opportunity, one of those uh, jump off a diving board and see if you can swim kind of opportunities that I took. Um, So about 2004, uh, around 2003, 2004, I built a a gargoyle for a company that I was working at. So I worked for a stainless steel brewery manufacturing company. So we did, you know, all the brew tanks and and hoppers and all that kind of stuff. And um, they wanted a gargoyle for the rooftop of their building. So that was my first piece was a, a stainless steel, eight foot tall, eight foot wide gargoyle that was going to be mounted to the top of the building. And um, that led into uh, an investor seeing my gargoyle and asking if I could do anything else. So he was asking if I could, you know, can you, can you, build, what else can you build kind of thing? And, you know, he, he thought there might've been a market for it. So I didn't really know him from anything. I, he was a, a guy that I met at a coffee shop and he had a bit of money and was, you know, kind of like branching out looking for something to invest in. And so I said, well, you know, I probably could build anything if (laughs) I put my mind to it. Just, you know, I I never really thought about it. And um, so we got the idea. He called me a few days later and said, you know, let's build something big and we'll, we'll, you know, if it's big, maybe we'll get a good buck for it. And, and so he came on as my first investor and um, we decided to do a big Eagle. You know, we figured, you know, between casinos, U 
U.S. military, um, you know, the target market was the U.S. from Canada here. And we figured a big eagle, it's bound to sell to somebody, you know. Oh, yeah. And so we did this great big eagle and um, we had really great publicity and and a big unveiling for it. And, you know, the mayor came out and and uh, did his spiel when I unveiled it and everything. I had about 2,000 people to my first open house. That's- and uh, so it was really uh, encouraging. And this investor saw the interest in it. And I think, you know, initially the price tag was like a million dollars for this big eagle that I built. And um, then he tried to steal it. Oh, my God. How? How? (laughs) He he locked me. So we had this big facility. It was about 5,000 square feet that we were renting. And we were paying cash for the building just to save some taxes and stuff like that. He He had made the deal with the landlord. So the bird was in this warehouse. All my tools were in this warehouse, uh, the tools that I was using to build this bird. And... Um, how it went down was I found out that all of the bills, all the accounts that I had set up through friends in the business weren't getting paid. So I called him one evening and said, you know, I just found out that, you know, this bill for material hasn't been paid and blah, blah, blah. Anyway, he didn't answer the phone. And then a couple of nights went by and still no answer. And this was when the bird was finished at this point. So, yeah. you know, we were just kind of working on marketing it and trying to get it sold. So then I get a letter that's kind of like this scratched handwritten letter saying, you know, uh, sign the bird over to me and I'll go down to Texas and everything's bigger in Texas. And I'll get it sold. And I'm like, well, why the hell would I need to sign the bird over to you yeah. to do that? Like, stupid, right? <laughs> anyway, so I, I had a bad feeling, went to a lawyer, and the lawyer said, well, you better get in there and get your shit out of there because it sounds like this guy's trying to scam you. Yeah. And sure enough, I went to the warehouse, which was the first time I had been there in probably a month or something. And it's all uh, papered up. So he had black papered the windows so you couldn't look into the warehouse and um, changed the locks and put a notice on the door saying, that it was uh, under his name and his name only, and there was no access to the building. So I called the cops and, you know, the cops said, well, there's nothing you can do. It's a civil matter between you and him. So then I went back to the lawyer and then it just turned into a dragged out nightmare for, well, it ended up taking two years. Dang. So during that time, I had an interest in someone buying it. So there was a an investor, a capital investor, a, a venture capitalist that had a client that was interested in buying it to probably to flip it. So they figured they could buy it from me and then maybe flip it and make some money on it or, and get a discount for taxes and whatever else they were you know, trying to yeah. do with it. So I said, well, it's going to be locked up for probably two years while the lawyers are dealing with this. I mean, it's, it doesn't seem like it's anybody's in any hurry, you know, at lawyers are like. And so I was stuck without my bird. I had to, you know, then I had no income. I had to go look for a job again and everything. And this, um, this capitalist, I I told him, I said, it's probably locked up for two years. Uh, We have no access to the bird, but I offered them. I said, you know, if you're interested or your client's interested, I can build another one. So if they want to just commission me to do another one, then I'll build another one and then you guys can do what you want with it. So one thing led to another and we partnered up and, uh, and I did another, ended up moving and, and they came on board and uh, financed me and we did another. So I had another investor out of that and we did another big 40 foot stainless steel Eagle. So I relocated, I found a farm that had a big shop on the farm and I could work right from home and it was really convenient. It worked out really good. And uh, I was there for, uh, I guess, pretty close to 10 years. So um, I, I worked on the, uh, 
I finished the Big Eagle that I did with him. Then I had some other opportunities. And then we decided to do another project. The Eagle still hadn't sold the big one that, that, you know, they were trying to sell it. And then I had an opportunity to do my big Chinese dragon. So I did a big Chinese coiling stainless steel dragon with that investor. And then a whole whack of nightmares started with that project. So I finished the project. It had really, again, international media. It was really going well. And they saw and what I had done and the interest that I had uh, stirred with my artwork and got greedy and put ridiculous price tags on my artwork. So, you know, you know <laughs> what I was hoping to see, maybe a million dollar sale to a casino or something. They turned around and put 10 million on the dragon and they put 3 million on the bird and the bird. I mean, the bird could have sold for a profit at like, you know, six or 700,000. I didn't have to have any uh, seven figures on it, you know? Yeah. And that's all I wanted to see was just getting my piece is out there, um, make a little bit of profit, but just move on and, and get reimbursed. He had an amazing deal with me. I mean, basically, he financed the bird and the dragon to get made, but we would, uh, as soon as we had a sale, he'd get 100% of his investment back, pay the taxes, and we would split whatever was left out of it, 50-50. Yeah. So he 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 got his investment 100% back and then it was just a win-win after that, right? And um yeah, and they got greedy and I actually had an offer for one of my birds at 1.5 million and it was a written notarized offer and they turned it down and wanted 3 million. So <laughs> That started the negativity between our partnership. And then um, the Pacific National Exhibition, which is the, it's called the P&E here in Vancouver, Canada. And it's a big thing every August. Uh, the P&E is kind of how the lower mainland in Vancouver closes out the summer by having this, uh, the P&E opens up and it's kind of like a, it's like Playland. It's like a miniature Disneyland. You know, it's a, an old school kind of um, theme park where you can go on rides and there's a, a one of the last existing wooden roller coasters coasters that's really, you know, world renowned for the being a pretty scary wooden roller coaster and and you know big bands from all over the world come there and play at the Coliseum and stuff. So it's a big thing at the end of the year and they offered to display my dragon and you know and and list it for sale at the P&E and they paid for the whole thing to have it shipped down there and have it on display and everything and this was back in 2011. And uh, so that was great, you know, it was kind of great publicity and you know in the papers and publicity uh of shipping it down there because they had this big 85 foot Chinese dragon going down yeah. the highway and they the news even sent out a helicopter to watch <laughs> this thing going down the highway and stuff so it was really neat and fun and um, one of the big casinos in Vancouver called the River Rock Casino it's basically a Chinese owned casino and 2012 was coming up which was the year of the dragon and they wanted to have a really big uh, Chinese New Year celebration at the casino and they offered to lease my dragon for the casino after it had been on display at the PE. They had actually seen it at the PE and then contacted me and offered me to uh, lease it. So we thought, well, you know, that's a great uh, possibility that maybe it'll end up staying there. Maybe they'll make an offer and the casino will buy it. They could certainly afford it. Yeah. And, um, and, uh, and, you know, and a great place for it to be on display. And, you know, you know, so that was um, kind of a no brainer. And we thought, what a great, great place for it. You know, it's a Chinese casino. It's a Chinese dragon. It's perfect, right? Yeah. So we, we relocated it there um, the following year for, for the, before the Chinese New Year, they had it all set up and uh, they leased it. And um, I believe that my partner and, and his associate there went into negotiation to, uh, you know, see what the offer of the casino 
casino was. The c- casino did make an offer, but they really lowballed the Dragon. The Dragon took two years and about 500,000 Canadian to make. And I think they offered like maybe it was seven or 800,000 or something to purchase it, which really wouldn't have even covered, you know, the, the cost of building it and the taxes and all that kind of stuff. So, so they did, they turned it down. And then the casino after that, after the negotiations fell through, they didn't want to lease it anymore. So then it was just sitting there and my partners were trying to just, they basically said, well, it's, it's there, just leave it there. It's close to the airport. If people are coming in, clients are flying in to look at this thing. We'll just keep marketing it from there. So the casino offered my wife and I to come down and have a free show and a, you know, a free stay at the casino and, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> and so we, we went down and watched, I think it was Roger Waters or something like that. And uh, so we had a free concert and a free room for the night and stuff. While we were there, some drunks were outside climbing the dragon. Oh, no. And there was no security to protect the dragon. And they were just letting people like, you know, they were behind the ropes. It was roped off, but they were behind the ropes, climbing it and drunk. And I thought, you know what, this is this isn't good because we're still trying to sell this thing and now it's going to get damaged, right? It's all mere polished stainless steel. You can't be climbing it. Yeah. So, um, so I felt that it should come home and, and be back on my property where I knew it was safe. And, and, and it was visible to the trans Canada highway, which was the main highway going across Canada into Vancouver. And everybody knew me from the highway visibility. Everybody said, Oh, the guy that builds dragons and eagles on the side of the highway, everybody (laughs) knew, knew, knew me from that. So we tried to relocate it home from the casino and um, the company that I hired wanted like more than double to bring it back home. And the casino was like, well, why are they why are they trying to double the cost of bringing it here? And I said, I, I honestly don't know. They're just gouging us. I said, I'll find another company to relocate it. Yeah. And um, so I did. I found another company here in the Lower Mainland to uh, to move it at, at the cost that it was to ship it there. And they went and turned around and did it illegally. So they, they didn't uh, apply for the wide load permits. They didn't apply for the route and all that kind of stuff. So they just winged it and uh, hit an overpass with my dragon oh my and did like $170,000 damage to uh, to the dragon, which was just like, you know two years of work and the thing was like, you know, immaculate at that time. Right. So, uh, pretty hard to deal with. Um, I had to control my anger. Uh, Yeah, (laughs) definitely. (laughs) And, um, so the, the partner contacts me, I, I contacted him and let him know what had happened. And then shortly afterwards, he contacts me again and says, look, I'm going to, he just basically told me to step aside and he's going to sue this company for their maximum insurance, which was a million dollars liability. But at the time, I, I mean, we weren't getting along or even on speaking terms at that point with this partner because he had screwed every deal left, right and center. And really, I just at that point wanted to get the pieces sold and, and move on um, and separate you know yeah and um i had already been negotiating because of uh you know because the driver had to report the damage and the insurance company from the company had contacted me and requested that i do a walk around video and explain the damage done to the piece and and the and you know what the cost of that damage was and everything so and i didn't want to see my dragon written off so i did that and uh, was negotiating with the insurance company and they were actually quite reasonable to deal with they were very good to me and um well, that's good. then i get a call from the insurance company saying, who's this guy? And and he had hired lawyers and was immediately suing them. And so when that happened, they settled with me rather quickly. And, and, 
and um, settled with me on what I felt was what it would take labor-wise and material-wise to repair the dragon. So when they settled with me, the claim was done on the insurance and he couldn't, he could no longer sue the insurance company. So he turned around and sued me for a million. Now it's gone up another half million. He sued me for a million and a half dollars. And in that claim, there was just, it was just ludicrous. Like there was all of these made up costs and, you know, claiming that his partner had been, you know, getting paid the whole time and, and all of this kind of stuff. And there was just, I mean, they were just pulling numbers out of the air to make this claim look good. Right. Yeah. So of course I'm, you know, I don't have an income at this point. I've already, uh, you know, our deal is done and I've already built what I was contracted to build. And so I didn't have a pot to piss in as far as, um, you know, being able to hire lawyers and fight them. And they were counting on that. Right. So yeah. I went and uh, visited a lawyer in Vancouver, a really high end lawyer, um, you know, because you're talking a million dollar plus lawsuit that's in the Supreme Court of Canada. And, you know, and so a lawyer, a retainer for a lawyer, when you go to that level is like $60,000 retainer and then go from there. Right. So, yeah. um, that just wasn't an option for me. And I said, look, I, I'm not going to even bother to fight this. I said, I've been paid to fix the sculpture. I'll fix it because it's my sculpture. Eventually I want to see it. Even if he maintains possession of it and sells it, makes mm -hmm. whatever he makes off of it, at least my sculpture will be out to the public at some point. Right. Yeah. So, um, so I chose to do that. I, I uh, told the lawyer, I said, look, I'll fix it. I've been paid to fix it. And then I'm walking away. He can have these sculptures and do whatever the hell he wants with them. So that's what happened with my first uh, two partners. And um, and it was shortly after that, I, I did repair it and he took possession of it. And to this day, so this was, you know, 2011. So we're talking 10, 11 years ago, he relocated it. I moved from the farm that I was uh, renting and working from, uh, mostly just due to financial financial reasons. I, I had to go and get a job and, you know, work paycheck to paycheck again. And, and um, I had a family meeting with my wife and her parents. My parents are gone now. And, and I, I was kind of at a crossroads, like, what do I do? Do I go back to work for some company, you know, welding and making an hourly wage or or do I keep pursuing my dream of being self-employed and and doing my artwork and of course my other talent is building cars and I decided to open a hot rod shop I decided to just do a, a 360 and not do art anymore and just go build custom cars and and open a shop up and there wasn't one locally that was doing high-end builds and um, so that's what I did I took all the tooling that I had and rather than having it in my carport and as a hobby I, I I tried to turn that tooling into a shop and opened up a hot rod shop, which actually was the right decision. It was a, a very successful shop for 10 years for me. Uh, we grew and grew. And um, at the end of it, we were um, about to expand into a brand new building that my landlord uh, was building for us. And uh, I brought on two partners. One of them was a client that uh, was quite wealthy. And the other partner was a, a mechanic of mine. So they were kind of steering my hot rod shop as partners in a direction that I wasn't happy with. They wanted to do a lot of, you know, bolt on, you know, basically yeah. anything that comes through the door, do any mechanical work, diesel trucks, that kind of thing. And I'm not that type of person. I, I like old school hot rods. I like to fabricate. I like to customize, do chops, do custom builds, uh, do high level work and was trying to build that reputation over the years for clients that had deep pockets and wanted 
wanted high-end builds and wanted competitive show cars. And so I was really focused on that type of client. And I turned away a lot of work because I was always looking for the, the bigger jobs and the bigger clients and the higher-end builds and, and the more custom work. Yeah. And they felt that there wasn't enough. Um, and it, I mean, you know, it was just a different business plan. They were more business-oriented versus a true car guy. You know, yeah. they were, it was all you about wanted business. The art. You wanted to build stuff, yeah. you know. Yeah, and, um, and so it was, I mean, which was fine. I actually, um, for the last two years of the hot rod shop, was doing my art full-time anyway. Yeah. So I had received the commission towards the end there of the Game of Thrones dragon, which was too big. I mean, it's a 55-foot <laughs> dragon, and it was too big to do inside the hot rod shop. There was no room. I mean, it was taking up the space of five or six cars to be worked on. So that was when my wife and I decided, you know, we're not really happy with our partners. They're kind of taking the shop in a different direction. And um, we have work coming in that can support us to do our own thing. So that's when we chose to sell out to our partners and just sell them our shares at basically liquidation cost because we just really at that point wanted to move on and, and do our artwork. Yeah. And um, so that's what we did a year and a half later or a year and a half ago, we uh, sold out to the partners, let them take over the shop and do whatever they want with it. And we uh, relocated, rented a big barn on a farm again. And we've been doing our artwork ever since. And we've just been absolutely inundated with work. We're so busy that, uh, well, right now I've got four projects on the go. So a lot of people don't understand the side of being an artist. I, I've been a musician for a long time and I've had so many bad deals like you've seen in the past. You know, it's something that I don't think is taught to people going into the industry that want to chase after these artistic lifestyles that, you know, it's your art, but people want to take credit and get paid for it any way they possibly can. And yeah. it's hard being an artist, you know, it's like especially it knowing how to back yourself up financially and also in your legal battles, you know, yeah. like it's it's crazy. Yeah. Um, so as far as when you're making these sculptures and everything, I saw you got an uh, eagle out at Dollywood. I'm actually going yes. to Gatlinburg this weekend, so maybe yep. we'll pop nice. by. <laughs> How do you find these commissions? Are well, the big ones have found me. Mm -hmm. So um, kind of a, you know, by chance, uh, funny when I was first starting out. So with that first investor, mm -hmm. uh, when we did our first eagle and we were trying to market it to the States, Dolly Parton was one of the key uh, packages. Like I, we we tried everything, you know, we back then there wasn't really... We didn't have cell phones like we have now. We just had like flip phones and stuff. And yeah. there wasn't that um, social media access. There was no Facebook and things like that where you could really market your stuff like there is now. And so we kind of went old school. We sent out letters and then we on bigger names. We sent out packages with colored pictures. And, you know, we sent to uh, places like Dollywood. We sent packages to, you know, probably every casino in, in North America, you know, things like that. And just basically cold calling or, or cold uh, packaging yeah. all these places to see if they had interest in my work. And, I, you know, I, and I had nothing to go off of. I had only done one piece. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's not like they could go to my website and see, you know, all the different work I did at that time. It was just one piece. So, and it didn't work. Like, you know, we spent a lot of money and a lot of time trying to put these packages together and, and all, all the cost of mailing these packages and everything. We spent probably thousands of dollars doing that and and to uh, absolutely no avail right that's 
And um, so eventually, I guess, um, Dollywood had seen, because I had done the Chinese Dragon and I had done the other eagle with that investor and there was a lot of publicity on those. So now I've got three large pieces and there had been a lot of publicity, you know, in magazines and newspapers and stuff. So I was a little bit on the internet with Google and stuff. And I think that's how Dollywood initially found me. And we did the contract with Dollywood. That was a good one because that was kind of right in the middle of my battles with this investor. So it gave us some income and, and the ability to still work from home and, yeah. and do this project for Dollywood. And at the time, I had done a couple for the U.S. military as well. I, I did a, a commission for the 101st Airborne out of Fort Kentucky, and we did a memorial for them for their uh, f- literally right at Fort Kentucky. And then um, the Brook Army Medical Institute in um, San Antonio, Texas, commissioned me for another uh, pair of small eagles, kind of a, a memorial tribute to the soldiers that were coming back from Iraq at the time and Afghanistan that were severely burned. I don't know if you know, but the San Antonio Brook Army Medical Institute is like the most modern, advanced burn center in in all of the U.S. So, and it was quite a new hospital at the time they had just opened. So that was quite an honor honor for me. And I got to do a a pair of eagles, kind of like a mother daughter under its wing, you know, the mother taking the daughter under its wing uh, was the theme of it. And uh, that's right at the front entrance of the, of the hospital. So that was kind of a inspiring piece to do. Yeah. And then so once I had the hot rod shop, my wife convinced me to do like some small eagles. She said, just make one and see if it sells, right? Yeah. So I did. And it ended up going to Calgary Harley Davidson. So then that I kind of... That. Uh, yeah, so that kind of inspired us to do some more small ones. And then shortly after that, I had a commission for another one that went to Ontario. And then I had another commission for a one that went to a doctor as a memorial for his son that passed away. And that ended up being all stainless. And that stayed locally and went to a doctor. And that kind of motivated us to, you know, pursue the art again a little bit on the side with the cars. And then the big boys toys contacted me, which is the the big kind of like a millionaire's billion trade show that they do. They started off in Dubai and um, places like that, and they target the super wealthy, basically. It's, yeah. It's they, they target the, the market for the big boys toys is stuff that nobody needs. Nobody can afford, <laughs> but people want, you know, yeah. you don't need this, but you want yeah. it. Trust me. Uh, yeah. And so they offered me the opportunity to uh, build a, a pro. I didn't have a project to take, but they offered me a, a spot that I couldn't pass up, which was in Vegas. And that's really a target market for the type of work that I do. So I was thrilled about it. It cost us a lot of money. I think we spent about $12,000 just to buy our booth from them. That's how they make their money is they sell booths. And we, we thought the investment was worth it to take my piece down there and have it on display in Vegas. So we paid for that and started building it and the investment we put in was quite a bit i mean we probably the eagle we put in time and and labor uh, and materials was probably a hundred thousand dollar bird that i built and you know i just a small hot rod shop so it wasn't easy to finance a, a big project and take me away from from you know put all my focus into this bird for almost a year the nine months that i built it with my wife and um COVID struck and the show was canceled. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and, and then, uh, you know, we had hoped that we would at least get our investment back for our booth and they wouldn't refund us. They basically put everything on hold and said, well, when the, 
when the show can be restarted, you'll have your booth, but we're not refunding anybody basically. So, so I was kind of screwed in two ways. I didn't get my refund back and I was stuck with a bird that I had built and no sale or no opportunity to sell it. So then I was like, well, damn, you know, what do I do now? So I was sitting on this bird and it was probably maybe two or three months that I was, you know, advertising this bird locally and and on Facebook and different things like that, trying to sell this big stainless bird. And it had a 30 foot wingspan. It weighed about, oh, I'm going to say four or 5,000 pounds. So it wasn't uh, something easy to even <laughs> yeah. store in the shop. It was, you know, and then it's stainless steel. So you don't want to be working around it or grinding and stuff like that because you'll yeah. contaminate the stainless and all that. So it was kind of an issue, especially with, you know, at this time I had partners. So my partners were like, you know, well, we need to get this thing sold and blah, blah, blah. And, and, it, it goes back to Dollywood, actually. So a fellow was at Dollywood and he phoned me from Dollywood while his kids were on the ride. And he said, I'm standing in front of your eagle and I want one. And I'm like, great. Just your luck, man. (laughs) So we started talking and he said, oh, I want, I love it. It's huge. It's what I want. I live in California. I want this great big eagle in my roundabout and people can drive under the wings. And that was his vision. And so as we were talking, I said, you know, I can, I can build other things too. I mean, you know, I don't know if you're set on having an eagle, but I can build anything you want. And then he kind of thought about it for a while. And then he said, well, what about a Game of Thrones dragon? Yeah. (laughs) You know, I thought, ooh, dragon, I've already done one dragon, and I always wanted to do the opposite. So I did the Chinese dragon, but I always wanted to do the, you know, the the European fire-breathing yeah. type dragon. Medieval right? dragons. Huh? And uh, even, I didn't even know what Game of Thrones was at the time. I hadn't watched the series. It's <laughs> oh, a long time getting... to catch up. It's going to yeah, take a long I didn't, time. <laughs> I didn't know what I was getting into, so my wife and I went home and we binge-watched the whole series in like four days oh dang (laughs) man that's dedication right there yeah and so yeah the you know we kind of he pulled the trigger on it right away and we started building the game of thrones dragon and then that's when the dragon you know of course i kind of overbuilt it because i was excited about building it so i made it too big for the price i was charging and and uh you know my partners were worried about the budget and everything and and then there was a not a lot of friction, but just, you know, I just felt that, you know, at some point I'm probably going to be building this dragon for free because I've low budgeted the sale, but kind of overbuilt it as far as scale goes, you know, yeah. and uh, not so much for the material, but just for the labor, because it was a really overwhelmingly large project. And, yeah. and I didn't realize at the time how much detail those Game of Thrones dragons have with all the spikes and all the, you know, craziness that's on them. Yeah. So then I, I kind of felt that, you know, this probably isn't going to go in a good direction with my partners anyway. You know, I, I'll take credit. I screwed up. I, I underbid it and overbuilt it. So I, I felt that, you know, I'll just get it done and it'll be good publicity. And if anything, it'll bring us more work, right? Yeah. And so then what had happened was I got another phone call during the construction when I was starting it. I got another phone call from a guy in the Cayman Islands and he said, um, Oh, so what had happened was, no, sorry, I got to go back a little bit. I got a phone call from Florida and there was a billionaire in Florida that had uh, reached out to me and saw, because I was posting the dragon that I was building. And he's like, I want that dragon, whatever, you know, whatever it costs, I want the dragon. And I said, well, it's not mine to sell. I said, it's a commission for a guy in California. I can give you his information. If you know, he wasn't interested in talking to the guy that was commissioning it. Yeah. He was interested in, in me trying to uh, sell Just it out from come, under the yeah. guy or something like, you know, so anyway, and um, I said, well, I don't have the dragon for sale because it's a commission, but 
I do have this big stainless Falcon yeah. <laughs> that I just built for the big boys toys in Vegas. And he's like, Oh, he goes, well, send me a, send me a picture of it. And I sent him a whole collage of pictures from all different angles and, and he liked it and we negotiated a price and, and he bought it. Oh. So, uh, which was great, you know, and, and, uh, my partners were happy and uh, I was happy and, and it was even, uh, I was even more thrilled because of where it was going. So it was going to the, uh, iconic motor collection in Miami, which is, uh, Barry Solnick is, um, is an entrepreneur out of Miami and has the world's largest supercar collection. So, so he's built a, a gallery in Miami around his supercars and he keeps adding to it. And it's a huge gallery. I, I'm not sure of the square footage, but I'm going to say it's at least at least 25,000 square feet or larger full of supercars and artwork. And when we had talked and, and, and shipped it, his plan was to have it mounted outside. He has a, a garden on the side of the gallery that has artwork outside as well. Mm -hmm. And he was planning to have that outside. And when he received it and saw how, you know, detailed and shiny and, you know, it's all chrome and everything with the polished stainless, he ended up keeping it in the gallery as a centerpiece in the gallery. So it, it looks amazing amongst all the supercars and everything. And he's an amazing client. And and he ended up commissioning another eagle for me because him and uh, Austin Weiss out of Miami, they own a uh, ammo manufacturing company that they're grind hard ammo mm -hmm. in Miami and they're building a new facility. And I think it's 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 about to launch pretty soon, but they wanted this big patriotic uh, steel, rusted steel and stainless steel eagle for the ammo company that they were partners with. So I ended up commissioning another one for for them for that. And, um, and then his friend saw, you know, follows him on Instagram and Barry was sharing the eagle when it showed the falcon. It was a hawk or falcon, falcon. Uh, when it showed up to his gallery, one of his friends from the Cayman Islands saw it and contacted me and said, you know, I love that bird that you did for Barry. He goes, I've always wanted a giant T-Rex. And um, <laughs> you're like, that's what I'm talking about. <laughs> and uh, I'm like, hell yeah, that's awesome. You know, and, and, and he wanted it huge. Like he said, you know, send me some numbers and uh, and um, and let's build this thing. So so that's when Michelle and I realized that now we're 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 too busy to be involved with cars anymore. Yeah. All this work is coming in for me that, you know, the T-Rex alone was a, almost a two year project. And then I still had the dragon to finish and then the bird was coming in and, and I'm like, you know, we're going to not only do we need to move and relocate to build these things, but we need help. We're yeah. going to have to hire some welders and fabricators to help us. So so that's when we made the decision to leave the hot rod shop and and do our own thing and, and start on these commissions. And that's what I've been working on ever since. So that is quite the tale, my friend. Yeah, that, that yeah. is a that is a a it's a. As a very twisting road that you've been down. Yes. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Weld.com podcast. I'm Bo Wigington. Make sure you tune back in next week to hear part two with Kevin Stone. Also, make sure you head on over and download the Weld app today so you can get connected to welders all across the world, job opportunities, as well as great educational content. Until next week, we'll see you out there.